Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, uh, we're going to look at uh, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, the 17th chapter. Jeremiah 17. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be gathered together as believers in your presence, and we invite you to unleash your presence and let your spirit just emanate through our gathering. It will not only hear you, but we'll just know in our spirits that we're with you. We pray, Father, that you'll bless uh, Barry and the people from the church. Keep them safe as they travel Israel. Open his eyes and his ears and heart to new things he's never known from the Old Testament before as he's traveling there, that we could all be fed by it. And Lord, we pray for our country today. It's probably at the lowest point it's ever been, and it seems like it keeps going down. So there are a lot of evil people, wicked people in high places that are making decisions that are going to bring your judgment upon us. And we're asking you could intercede. You've baptized us all with the power of the Holy Spirit to be on fire for you and to uh, help turn the tide. And if that's not going to happen, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So have mercy on our souls, Lord, and forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we are. Chapter 7, verse 7. Verse 5, I'm sorry. Thus saith the Lord... Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. But he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from you, being a sh- uh, away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what came out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. And let them be ashamed who persecute me. But do not... Let me be put to shame, and let them be dismayed, but do not let me be 
dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom and destroy them with double destruction. Chapter 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy, if that nation against whom I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I have thought to bring upon it. And then the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now, therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. And the people said, Ah, that is hopeless. So we'll walk according to our own plans. And we will every one obey the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore says the Lord, Ask now among the Gentiles who has heard such things. The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? Because my people have forgotten me. They have burned incense to worthless idols. They have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in pathways and not on a highway, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. There's a great, um, brilliant mind that's in heaven now, C.S. Lewis. You know, he taught at the great universities of Great Britain. His books are in the millions of sales for many, many years. A good friend of mine, Dr. Sherwood Elliott Word, who's the founding editor, editor of a decision magazine for Billy Graham, uh, when he retired, he retired in the San Diego area, and we became best of friends. He became, well, he mentored me like I was his own son, actually, and opened up doors of ministry around the world and with Mr. Graham. It was a wonderful relationship. Ninety-seven, he went to be with the Lord, and he, he held the title of the world's oldest living boy. 
this guy was always climbing a mountain somewhere, doing something. And when our our teams would come from around the world, uh, we'd go out in the desert and spend a, a week, and we'd always play football at a high school football stadium. And uh, we called it, instead of a conference, a, a huddle, like a team getting together and talking about what the Lord is going to do. And we'd call some plays. At 76 years old, Woody was still playing football with us. And um, he wasn't a very big man. And I was quarterback one time, and I called the play where I was going to throw the, the pass to Woody. And um, we had a guy from the San Diego Chargers that was there, and he was playing defense. And I threw the pass to Woody, and he started to run past him. And the Charger guy just started laughing and laughing because Woody was basically moving like this, but his body wasn't going anywhere. He was kind of shocked that he caught this football. And the defensive guy fell over backwards laughing. I think Woody scored a touchdown. That was kind of a cool deal. But he really likes C.S. Lewis. He's the last person um, to ever interview C.S. Lewis. And uh, Woody's intellect was like Mr. Lewis and very, very highly intelligent and he was telling me about that interview and how how inspiring to sit with somebody that's so in tune to the world going on around him and yet uh, is able to put words to what God would have us think. We just read that God is like a potter in our lives, that he can shape us. And like the potter that Jeremiah saw, that he somehow marred the vessel that he's making. Maybe he's making a lamp and didn't work, and he redid all that mud and made it a a bowl. And God said, I can do the same with you as an individual or as a nation. And then he brings out something that every American should be trembling about right now, and that is, if I am devising judgment against you, I speak of a nation or a kingdom that has walked away from me and turned from my word, then I shall bring judgment upon it. But if I speak of a nation or a kingdom... And I've said to build it up and to strengthen it, lift it up, and they don't heed my word, then I'll bring disaster upon that nation. And as a nation, we're that second group right now. We're the ones that are saying things that are really, really frightening. C.S. Lewis wrote a very short work that um, is called The Four Loves. And here it is. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, your heart, you must give it to no one at all, not even to an animal. You have to wrap it carefully around with your hobbies and your little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and unredeemable. Yes, to love is to be vulnerable. And Jesus told us that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him 
would never perish, but would actually be given eternal life. And maybe you've never looked at that, that God was vulnerable by accepting you. He was vulnerable by even creating you and allowing you to have a free will. But how vulnerable Jesus Christ of Nazareth was when both of his arms were nailed to this tree and his feet and a crown of thorns was put on his head and men spit on him, began pulling his beard off his face with chunks of flesh coming with it, hit him with a rod when they covered his head, mocked him and said, prophesy now and tell us who it is that hit you. All the agony he went through. He cried out the first verse of Psalm 22, and that was really a good job of a rabbi, because the rabbi didn't say, turn to Psalm 22. The rabbi just quoted the verse, and all of us would have had a scroll, and we would have known right where to go. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God. Everybody else. It says in the New Testament that everyone stood afar off from him. His disciples, everybody got away from the cross. My God, why have you now forsaken me? At that instant, the sins of the world, yours, mine, they all came onto his account. He who knew no sin actually became sin for us. And God judged you by judging his son. And that you would have the right to be free from the penalty of sin if you accept God's forgiveness and his plan of salvation. And if you don't want to make that decision, then there's another option for you to be miserable for eternity and live with yourself and always remember all your thoughts and the opportunities that you had that you gave up because of pride. To love is to be vulnerable. When a man or a woman turns back on God or pulls away from him, like he mentioned to Jeremiah, the consequences to that person are staggering. They affect the person's heart, their home, their city, their state, their country, and ultimately, the world in which they live. A nation in decline is a nation that is pulled from God, but it still has strength. Because we just read that if I mention a nation, a country, or a kingdom, and it is living in evilness, if it will repent, then I will forgive them. A nation in decline has the ability at some point to ask God's forgiveness. But when it crosses the Rubicon, there's no turning back. And the question has been asked for quite some time, have we Americans finally crossed that line? I believe this morning, as Americans, we have crossed that line. In Psalm 55, verse 9, if you'll turn there with me, in verse 9, the psalmist gives us seven terms that are used of the decline of a nation, of a city, of a people. And there's these seven words that are brought out in Psalm 55 that let us look at our newspapers and say, all those words are being used today about our country. And nobody stands up and nobody resists. Let's look at those seven words. Psalm 55, verse 9. 
Destroy, O Lord. Let's back up to verse 4. My heart is severely pained within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearlessness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in the midst of it. Oppression and deceit do not depart from the streets. Let's look at those words for a minute. and We can see these are in Orange County, San Diego County, San Bernardino County, definitely in New York City and the state of New York, and now Vermont and Virginia, and ultimately California will probably follow next. The first word he tells us in verse 9 is violence. There shouldn't be violence in the city of the Lord. People should be loving each other. But there's a lot of violence. Every city in Orange County and in San Diego County have their own law enforcement agencies to protect from the violence. The second word is destruction. I was reading an article around Christmas time about all the school districts in the county of San Diego that they're all bankrupt. From the San Diego Unified School District that's had corruption for quite some time to the outer uh, county east, smaller towns and areas. Destruction of the human mind. That we're so weak and so shallow as a people, we've been dumbed down so quickly that we're actually saying yes to drugs. When the same people we have said yes to drugs are the ones that started the war on drugs 50 years ago and has never made a dent through this war on drugs to stop the decline of the American intellect. Destruction of hope. Destruction of being different. That we all have to be the same. And if we're not the same and you say something, that's called hate speech. Somebody makes these rules up without anybody voting for these rules. Change the bathrooms. We need more bathrooms. One for every gender. Somebody said, did you look on the internet? There's 35 genders now. And if you don't want to be a male in California or a female, then just be a X or binary. Make up your own. Be a cat if you want. It's just crazy what's going on. The destruction of the human intellect and the human heart. The third word we saw in Psalm 55 is strife. Strife is everywhere. No matter what you read on the Internet or in the news or listen or watch, it's all about strife. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. And that's a sign of destruction of a nation. In chapter 21, verse 25 of the book of Judges, it says, In the day that there was no king, no real leadership, the judges did rule. Instead of an executive branch, it was the judicial branch that was ruling. The judges ruled. 
And then you go to verse 1 in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. It basically says the same thing, because Ruth is a microcosm of life during the times of the judges. and says, because there was no king and the judges did rule, every man did that which is right in their own eyes. That's called humanism, for one thing. But the second word is, it is actually people doing what is right in their own eyes as relative living. This is right in my own eyes. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what the law says. You come along and join me, and I'll join you in your rebellion and march in your street parades, too, no matter what it does to anybody else. You have a right to do whatever you want. Destruction, strife, they're all in our vocabulary. Oppression. Oppression comes from wicked men and women that have an agenda and have an ability because of large sums of money and other people to attack your heart. Be it in politics or television, a movie theater. Have you noticed how the movie theaters are all changing in Southern California, if not across the country, that they now get you these chairs that you can go to sleep in while you're watching the movie? But you can buy alcohol in the movie theaters now because they're losing so much business. And so were the cable networks, so they started pornography. And now pornography has wrapped its tentacles around our country and choked it out down into the elementary grades. Yeah, iniquity and deceit. There's a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And that's what deceit does to us. We say it's right for us, but when you go that way, it's a destructive Deceit, a lie. And then that last word, trouble. A lot of trouble on the streets. I remember one Sunday night before Christmas, a lady came in here that was homeless. And um, I watched her come in. I saw her stand by herself. And uh, obviously she looked like she was probably homeless. She came down with the invitation to accept Jesus. There was a couple sitting here, husband and wife, who were homeless living in their car. They got up immediately, and about 20 other people got out of the pews and came down, and they saw what was happening. This woman wanted to repent of her sins and wanted help from God. I just backed away and never even said another word to her because the Christians were doing what Christians should do. Doesn't that be the preacher doing it? But when you have so much going on, and you can see the deceit and the trouble, How blind, how deaf are we as a people? Psalm 36, if you turn there, just go back a couple pages in your Bible. Psalm 36 actually gives us about six or seven words for an individual, the steps of wickedness that take hold of a life. And then all of a sudden you're watching movies that you would have never watched. You're telling stories you would have never told. You have lost your moral compass. But look what he says here in the 36th uh, chapter, verse 1. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There's no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes. When he finds out his iniquity and uh, when he hates, the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. 
He does not abhor evil. Now, if you read that as a psalm, you can go on, you read this, but he's given you some words to watch out for. Number one, for wickedness sets in, there's no fear of God. The Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's the fool that says that. A fool is wicked because he denies the place of God. I have a feeling that 12 months from now, if the Lord isn't here, Christianity is going to have a big black eye. And they're already working on the next election. And never again will good people have a voice in this country to elect somebody that would at least stand up to this and resist it. No fear of God. Second thing you just read there in Psalm 36. He flatters himself in his own eyes. Always patting himself on the back. I'm such a good person. Look what I do and the people I know and where I go. No, he flatters himself in his own eyes. Nobody else is, but he flatters himself. He doesn't fear God. The third thing we saw was wickedness and deceit come from his mouth. I had somebody, I have no clue who they were, wrote a really filthy thing uh, to me this week. And it's easy when you're a thousand miles away to send somebody something. I said, this person is evil and wicked. Deceit, lies, craftiness, wickedness and deceit come from the wicked man's heart, from his mouth. And Jesus said, from the lips proceed the abundance of a heart. Those of you that are here in law enforcement or you're a counselor, you've known for years, just stand there, just sit there and let them talk. They'll convict themselves. You'll know everything about them just by their lips moving And you'll see if they're a good person or a righteous person or a deceptive person. The fourth thing, he ceases to be wise and to do good. Now, we've all seen friends, and even our own lives maybe years ago, that we were good people. I was sharing my testimony with a um, congresswoman one day. We were going to have a five-minute meet and greet, and it was an hour and 45 minutes. And we had a, a great time in the Lord. And I was telling her my story uh, about when I was a high school kid and had a daughter and so on and so forth. She said, you are a bad person. And I said, no, I was a good guy. And she says something very clever. She said, well, you may have been a good guy, but you were a bad boy. And I said, yeah, I was. I was a good guy, but a bad boy. You know, when people walk away and you say, well, what are they doing? It's different. Their attitude's different. You've seen it happen as a Christian. Some of your friends that really love Jesus, they can sing the songs, and all of a sudden they're dating different people, and they're talking different, and they're dressing different, and the modesty's gone, and the humility's gone. The gentleness of their spirit has gotten tough and rough. Ceases to be wise and good. And then he said, He devises wickedness on his bed. Now think of that one. They're laying there with their remote, going to all these different channels that they'd be ashamed to be watching in front of their kids or their neighbors. 
They're devising wickedness on their bed, thinking dirty thoughts instead of resting, getting strength. They're making their schemes and their plans to rip people off in business the next day, to raise taxes, to whatever their position is. They devise all day long. They're doing wicked things and evil things. And then when they go to bed, they've got to think of new ways. It's just a sign. And then the last one that you read there says, He sets himself in a way that is no good. There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end is death. And some people, they put themselves around the wrong people. And those people take advantage of them. And their lives could be ruined forever. In Psalm 90, it's a verse 12 is, is sort of like a cure to these thoughts of a wicked nation, wicked person. In Psalm 90, verse 12, the scripture says, So, knowing that we live in a bad situation, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I know a man, I think he's in his 80s now, and 40 years ago or something, he told me that he got with a person that was did actuaries for life insurance, and I told him my whole story, and he told me how many days I have left to live. It was 33,000 or some big number at that time. Well, now he's up there, and he's, he's close. He's out of time, according to the actuary of the life insurance person. So he wanted to number his days so that he could have a heart of wisdom. You know, St. Augustine, or if you're from the South, St. Augustine, same guy, he said this about this verse. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And St. Augustine says, we quote, we will never do that unless we number every day as our last. If otherwise we'd stop living in this fake world we have going on our head and come in and out of reality and have to interact with other people and then go smoke or drink or whatever we want to alter our consciousness and self-medicate and watch whatever we want when nobody's around and live this dual life. If we want to stop that, then we have to count that this may be the last time the person sitting next to you sees you. Friday might have been the last time people at work ever said goodbye to you. We have no idea when we're going to die. The Lord does. But if we number our days and we take this wisdom to our heart, we now are more concerned about others than we are about self. If we have an unlimited checkbook, we're going to write checks and spend money. But if we have a very limited amount of money, we're going to try to keep to that budget. Remember Chuck Smith said one time, I forget what we were talking about, but he said, you know, you can tell a a real Christian by their checkbook. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, just take a look at their checkbook and see who they and what they write checks for and see how many are for Jesus. I said, that's brilliant. But we don't look at our calendar that way, do we? When I first started in San Diego many years ago, Uh, I was the only pastor, I was the only counselor. I was doing eight hours a day, six days, seven days a week sometimes, and preaching three or four times a week, and training people to take responsibility. And um, 
I thought of that, that my life's about Jesus, but I have five kids and a wife that I love, and I want to take care of them too. So he gave me a little assignment. I got a pencil. I got the calendar out in my book that I wrote down who's coming for what counseling session. I started a brand new month, and I just wrote big letters, Jesus in the first, Jesus on the second, Jesus, all the way to the 31st. And then the lessons started coming. How many times I had you erase Jesus from my calendar because I was too busy. I had to go here, go there, go here, do this, do that, take this kid there and this person there and blah, blah, blah. And Jesus really doesn't get very much time from us. But he has all the answers. He has all the power, all the strength, the ability to go into the deepest part of a person's body that's the sickest here and instantly heal it. He can make all your problems go away. He can strengthen your soul and your inner man. He can give you ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive. But we don't have that much time for him to do that because we're busy. Our eraser is now doing more than our ink pen or pencil. Jesus is second place. And so what Augustine said was, we'll never do that unless we number every day as our last. So now, before we head home, turn to Psalm 10, a very unique psalm. Some people say, well, it's actually a carryover from Psalm 9. Other people say, no, this is specifically a very direct psalm to the reader to keep your heart pure. Keep your heart pure. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy person and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Many years ago, I had a friend that had a friend that I was invited to meet John Lennon, and I'd prayed for him for many years. And uh, he was killed just a few days before our meeting in Los Angeles. And um, he wrote a song across the universe. And it's a solo song that he sings on one of his albums. And he sings in it a, a word that most people wouldn't pay attention to. Hi, Guru Dev. Well, Guru Dev was the Eastern uh, mystic that was the mentor and the guru for Maharishi Mahesh Yoga, who brought transcendental, transcendental meditation to America. And in his song that sold millions, actually, some of you know it. It's a beautiful song, the guitar work his voice, he says, nothing's going to change my world. He sings out several times, nothing's going to change my world. But a man from Honolulu who was poor, people don't know how he got the money for the airline ticket, let alone to stay in New York City, 
saw John as he's going to record his last album outside the Coda Apartments and said, could you autograph this for me? And he autographed it. But when he came back that night and got out of the limousine and started to walk in, the same man, Mark David Chapman, said, Mr. Lennon, he turned around and he shot him to death. Don't ever be in a place where you think nothing's going to change my world. It could change right here when you get on the freeway. We have no idea. Why would we be so arrogant, so self-contained inside of ourselves that this whole world around us has superfluous meaning to us as it's all below us and we're who we are and we're the cool ones? Mm -mm. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll raise you up in due time. Now, count our days as numbered. It says that it seems people get away with murder. I don't want you ever to grab a hold of verse 1 of Psalm 10, put that in your heart, because it's propaganda. People say, well, God, why aren't you here with me now? You don't hear my cries. Why, God, are you not standing right here? That is really degrading. The Lord is with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you, saith the Lord. But there are people that say, I don't go to church or I uh, don't like God because he's never there when I'm in trouble. Now, like many of you, I've raised a lot of children. And still there are adults. Now they have their children. And some of them with their children have their children. Taught them how to ride bicycles. Their ABCs are one, two, threes. Some I tried to teach how to fly airplanes, ride motorcycles, whatever would keep us close together, teach them things. And it's interesting that a child on the bicycle will say, I can't do it, I can't do it. And you just keep your hand on the wheel, and they're doing it, they don't even know it. And after about a half hour, they'll be back and forth the football field and not even realize that you're not holding on anymore. They're enjoying it so much. Did you ever stop and think that sometimes when you want to cry out what this psalm starts with, where are you, God? Why don't you care? That he's right there. His heart cares for you all the time. But he wants you to be stronger and pedal on your own. So he allows things to come into your life. As he said to Jeremiah, I test their hearts and I test their minds. He wants to show you how strong you are, but also how weak you are. So don't ever fall for that, that God doesn't care and he's afar off from you. No, he's not. That's a distraction for us to think anything negative about God. God does care. So is this what has happened in recent days? Just 30 days into this new year, ladies and gentlemen, four short weeks out of 52 weeks, and an onslaught of wickedness comes across the airways of the American media when Mayor, excuse me, Governor Andrew Cuomo rejoices over the New York legislature passing the law that a baby that is ready to be birthed can be aborted nine months old. And if the baby's delivered, the mother can still murder that baby. But the new law doesn't say how long after that child is born. 
I find it offensive in, in many areas because I believe in life and I believe life's in the womb. God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you, not you were evolved, in your mother's womb I knew you and I thought you out. Every one of you people are special people. You're not just some accident. You don't know your dad or you don't know your mom. You're an accident. No. It may not be the most perfect thing, but God knew if you're going to be male or female, not male, female, binary X or something else. You see, it's so wicked and so dark right now. The final onslaught has come for our country. And that is to deface God, shut the church down and lock their lips so they can't speak. Because the Bible says, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man after our image and likeness. So Satan, in the book of Revelation, we hear about him, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, or Tustin, Orange County, or San Diego. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Whoa, 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 this is trouble. Satan, the old dragon, The serpent of old has been cast down to earth and he's full of wrath. Why? Well, when you went to school, didn't you always say, why? When the teacher was saying something, you go, why? Hey, I want to ask you why. And if you raise your hand too much, they never answer you again. So you just say, why? Write your own self and go research it. Why is he full of wrath? And why are we warned, the inhabitants? Because he's full of wrath because his time is short. That means Jesus is right around the corner. He is now attacking the final thing that started the whole earth was the Lord making man out of clay, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Yes, you can clone Louise the goat or whatever her name was and all these things, animals, and try to... People, but you'll never give them a soul. They'll be zombies. What they plan on unleashing in the next 24 months on the population is just sickening. You don't really think that God, the creator of heaven and earth, is trying to rethink, was this evolution or did I really do that? Did I create all this? You don't really think that what we just read, that the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful. Who can know the heart? Psychiatrists can't. Who can know? Psychologists can't. Who can know the heart? You don't think if the first couple that were put here and their sons got into a squabble and one of them murders his brother out of jealousy and envy, and I think it was had something to do with Cain, who did the murdering, was tired of going to Abel, his brother, who gave offerings to God from his sheep, living sacrifices, and he had to come to his brother and say, I'll give you five bags of carrots and onions. He is a farmer. I think jealousy got in there. You don't think that two astronauts won't kill each other on the moon or on Mars? It's wickedness that's going to leave this planet. God doesn't want that happening out in his creation. No, I think we've gone far enough. We've crossed the line. And Mayor Andrew Cuomo, I'd be glad to sit with you, sir. If you ever want to talk, I doubt you will. 
He's a Catholic. He went to Catholic schools. He's very bright. He's a lawyer. He's very smart, very clever. His father was the governor of New York, too. He went to a Catholic university. He even asked the diocese in New York, in the city, in the state, and he asked for the bishops and the cardinals and the people at the top to help him get elected. And once he did, he turned against the Catholic Church. He's bitter. He rejoiced that a woman has the right. You know, I have the right to defend myself, but I don't have the right to come up and hit you. But if you mess with me, I'm going to mess back. Just because we have a right doesn't mean we exercise it at the cost of somebody's life or their well-being. You have to have self-control as a human. And sin takes that away. And wickedness at the higher levels brings it into society so they can bring you under oppression. Yes, I remember Paul said to the king, Hey, uh, you're messing with the wrong guy here. Yes, I'm Jewish, but I'm a Roman citizen. <gasps> you're a Roman citizen? The soldiers got kind of freaked out. He's a Roman citizen, and he has a right to go all the way to Caesar. And he used that all the way along the line. Yes, I believe in God, and yes, I was a Pharisee, and yes, but I'm a Roman citizen. And what did Paul write when he wrote to the Colossians? And we bring you greetings and love. And to all of those that are in the palace, the house of Caesar, the gospel was winning people in Rome that worked in the house of Caesar. He had a right as a Roman citizen for them to just cut him loose and give him a pardon. But because of Jesus, he wanted to go all the way to the top, and this is how God was going to use it. I am saying as an American citizen, this is wrong. This is ungodly. This is wickedness at the highest level. This is sick, perverted, demonic thinking. And why people aren't standing up and calling for impeachment for the governors and the legislatures of Vermont, Virginia, and New York, it just shows how far gone we are. We can't tell the difference as a people anymore. We've been so brainwashed, we don't understand, and we've been so unbiblically washed, we don't know what we can fight back with. But the word is a sword, and you can pull out that sword, and God will use that sword. I am upset, not only because of the unborn babies. I say, all of us in this room will take every baby that they want to murder at nine months or earlier. And now, a thousand rooms of this. You see, all the rights were taken away from the human child. There's no protection for new human beings that are coming from this day forward, ladies and gentlemen. The courts cannot fine or sue the mother. And do you know that they can't sue the doctors or the person from the clinic or Planned Parenthood? Do you realize that? Everybody has rights to take the life of an American baby in a womb, but the baby has no right. What if it was you in that womb? Would it make a different picture? I'll tell you another reason we should be really angry. I'm not saying go out and do something that anger would do, but use your head. 
I was on a very special air disaster team. There were 26 of us who were handpicked across the country. And uh, the eight, I was on a team of eight. We were called the morning the first tower got hit. Washington, D.C. paged. Get here on a military flight. Get here on a train. Ride your bicycle. Whatever you can get to New York. Get to New York and go to this address and we'll take you from there. To think that this governor, this man, this flesh, this nothing, told the state to change the laser lights where the two towers went down and 3,500 Americans were slaughtered, that beam up to heaven to change those to be pink and everybody party and rejoice that we can kill the baby up to the moment he's going to be birthed or even once he's brought out of the womb. you got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me that we have fallen so far that men can get on jet planes and fly into our towers, kill people. I know people that died that were in those towers. I still work with cops and firefighters that were there still suffering. To think that we could say, oh, the Muslims came here and shed blood all over. Let's glorify that now we are killing our very own. Ladies and gentlemen, I know you didn't come to church to hear this, but I've never had a message exactly like this before. And then Virginia and Vermont, the legislatures in Vermont were quoted as saying, Planned Parenthood is the fourth arm of the U.S. government. Everybody gets rich off of killing babies. You don't think God's going to judge us? You're out of reality. He said, if you do these wicked things, I'm going to judge you. But if you'll repent as a people, I'll relent from my judgment. Our country needs to repent. In Isaiah 52, in closing, in verse 5, it says, The wicked is rooted out of the land of the living. But in verse 8, it says, The righteous is rooted in the house of God. You know, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, he said, I have sinned. And the religious leader said, what's that to us? He threw the 30 pieces of silver down. King Saul knew that he had gone different ways than what God wanted him to do. And he said, I have sinned. But that's not enough. They're just stating a fact. It's not enough for me and it's not enough for you either. But in Psalm 41, it tells us that David, King David, added something in his statement. Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul. For I have sinned against you. For you to say, ah, I'm a sinner. What does that mean? But when your heart is broken and you recognize, I have sinned against God, against you. I might hurt other people's feelings, but this is between you and me. That was the difference of King Saul and of Judas Iscariot. Yes, to love God, I will admit with you, is to make yourself vulnerable. In our weakness, he is strong. And to be vulnerable in loving God is to trust him. Yes, 
we as a people were more powerful than Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. That's right. We, the American people, and all we have accomplished, stronger, more mighty, more powerful than the Median Persian Empire. Yes, we, the people, more powerful, creative, ingenious than the power of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And yes, the Roman Empire, the United States of America, has far exceeded anything the Roman Empire. But we have one thing in common. All of those imploded inside because of moral and ethical issues of the heart. Those of you in the military, I'm with you all the way. Those of you in law enforcement, I'm with you all the way. This couple of weeks ago, I just spent time with the Miami-Dade law enforcement and other agencies. And I was able to meet the chiefs and the men and women who were at the Parkland school shooting, whose hearts changed forever. And then just less than a year ago, I guess it was, the, the bridge that was coming from the student dormitories at Florida International University across the main highway collapsed and crushed and killed people in the cars and killed students that were walking across the bridge. And those firefighters, those policemen, they weren't designed to see somebody crushed under tons of concrete. I'm sorry, it's an ugly scene. I was underneath Oklahoma City building. I saw what they saw. I know how much God loves them, and they need a rope to hang on to to help get out of what they've seen too much of. It's so sad. On the cross, the sins of the individual were forgiven. God made himself vulnerable by letting his only begotten son die the most wicked death a government could ever design. God made himself vulnerable, but we break his heart over and over again and again because we think we're more than what we really are. When Jesus wept and his friend Lazarus was in the tomb, they said, oh, how much he loves them. I don't know that that was really why he was crying. But how often he weeps over me in my unbelief. And he's done so much. But I sometimes have to question. He weeps over us because of our spiritual pride that we are what the end times people would have. Third chapter, Second Timothy a form of godliness, looking like they're believers, but denying the power thereof. And if you're stopping the power of the Holy Spirit today from coming into your life and changing you, you have a form of godliness and you're not there yet. Yes, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrong. And possibly broken. We've all experienced that, haven't we? If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one ever, not even an animal. I, my dog, I didn't even have to talk to her. She knew what I was thinking. The day that they, my kids took her, I couldn't go. She had my heart since she's a puppy. Yeah, take your heart and wrap it carefully around with your hobbies and your little luxuries 
Avoid all entanglements. Don't get too close to people. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will never be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and unredeemable. There's a way which seems right to all of us in this room, but the end there is death. We're watching our nation die. It's not by accident. It's designed. Our enemies are inside our borders. They're controlling everything that talks to us. And you can just sit by or you can at least join in prayer. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And we'll love him. And we'll confess we're sinners. But my heart goes out to all of you, the members of the body of Christ, that don't even know what's going on. Hell has been unleashed upon us. And once we're gone, the voice of the church is gone, just like England and Europe. We're next. And then they'll get down to such a place that he'll take the remaining body into heaven. And then there will be two witnesses. Only two people left. They'll be in Jerusalem speaking out against the wickedness and the evilness. And the people will hate them. And finally, they'll be killed and they'll lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem. And around the whole earth, people will rejoice like they just did at ground zero over the killing of babies at nine months old. They'll rejoice that there's not another witness to speak to us about believing in God or serving Him. And then after three days, the Lord will just miraculously raise both of those men up in front of the whole world with all the media watching, and He'll take them away. And these are the people that are left in Revelation chapter 6. They'll hide themselves in the caves in the mountains, the kings, the princes, the rich ones, the poor, the slaves. They'll all hide in the mountains, and they will cry out to the mountains and the rocks, fall upon us, kill us. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb and the face of he who sits upon the throne of judgment. They'd rather die than to humble themselves and say, God, forgive me. Don't be so prideful that you can't say today, God, forgive me. Shall we stand and shall we pray? Lord, we beg your mercy on the politicians that are selling their souls out to get reelected, selling their souls out to carry on shadow governments that hate humans. We know who that is. We know it's the devil. He knows his time is short. The clock is ticking on him. When the church gets to go into eternity, He gets to come into the time zone we've always been plagued by. He's angry. And now he's attacking the image and the likeness of you 
the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He is mocking you to your face. He's mocking the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. He's mocking the believers. He's endorsing anybody that would mock you, God. He's given them free reign. All the money, all that they want. All the parties. If they'll just mock you and your sons and daughters. I beg you, Father, have mercy on all of our souls today. We're willing to stand for you. But help us. Help us with your strength. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, this is a wonderful time for you privately to just tell God you love him, that you are his daughter, that you are his son, young or old, that you are not afraid to tell him, I have sinned against you. And you're not afraid to be identified as his daughter or his son. And if you've done like the potter, your life was okay one time with God, but then you went backwards or away, that's okay. He says he'll forgive you. He'll recreate everything for you to give you the best. Just ask his forgiveness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have betrayed you, that I walked away from you. Forgive me. Now, maybe you've never, ever walked with God, talked with God, cared about God. But lately your life is saying something's up and now you know what it is. This is a wonderful time, your very first time to say, God, forgive me. I do admit I am a sinful person. and My life has not been your life. It's been mine. And I ask forgiveness. Please have mercy on my soul. And now before we go home, we're going to worship the Lord. And I'd like to ask that we begin praying right now for men and women, boys and girls in all of our lives. That God would have mercy. Go ahead and just pray. Your grandparents, your parents, your cousins, your aunts and uncles, the people you work with, your friends on the team. You have friends all over the place at school. You may be the only person in the world, the only person ever praying for them right now. So walk away from the importance of self-identity and take on the identity of God and become vulnerable to love. And he will honor you. And he will bless you. He will gift you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that the pastors that are here would love to pray with you if you'd like to come and pray. There's nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed. You're willing to pray publicly. This needs to happen all over our country. We don't have much time left. And those of you, if there's anybody here, military intelligence especially, you know what's coming down. And God is the only hope we have as a people. He's given us more than he's given any other people in the history of creation. And we have not been grateful for it. But he will hold back if the people that are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face. He will answer our prayers. If we wanted to sleep through it all, 
You won't even know it hit you. It'll be over before we know it. If you'd like to pray, come now, and we'll pray with you.